Thank you for joining us here at Brave Church. We hope our teaching inspires you. For more information about gathering times, events, and other resources, visit brave.church. Here's this week's talk. Well, good morning. It is an honor to be here at Brave Church and just honored that uh, Pastor Darren would invite me. So it's great to be with you. I want to read to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. There's a word for us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and uh, you'll also find your sermon notes in your program there. So uh, the, the sermon notes are there to follow along as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning with verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake uh, died and was raised. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. From this text, I want to preach to you on the title, The Rise of the Reconcilers. The Rise of the Reconcilers. God, I pray that this would be your message, that ultimately you would be preaching, and I would just be the vehicle that you've decided to use to say what you want to say to these, your beloved children, my sisters and brothers. God, I desire to be obedient to your word, so please let it be done. In Jesus' name, amen. The Rise of the Reconcilers. Now, you are um, meeting me for the first time, uh, most of you, and so maybe it'd be good as we go through this word together that you would know uh, one thing about me. Anyone who hangs out with me for a good period of time will come to the understanding that I am really into superhero movies. No, no, no. I really love superhero movies. And this is an awesome year if you are into superhero movies. I mean, we've already got the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 that's out. Uh, we, Wonder Woman in the DC Universe is out. But back into the Marvel Universe, we've got Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. And then as we go into July, we're going to get the third reboot of a Spider-Man trilogy called Spider-Man Homecoming, which is going to have, of course, Spider-Man, but also cameos by Iron Man and other Avengers, which is then going to lead into Thor Ragnarok, which is the third Thor in that first trilogy, and that's going to feature Thor and Doctor Strange and the Hulk, which is then going to lead into Avengers Infinity Wars in two parts where you're going to get about 30 superheroes going after this villainous Thanos trying to take over the entire universe with an infinity glove and six infinity stones. Not to outdo the DC universe, 
Wonder Woman is out right now, and Wonder Woman is going to lead into the Justice League with Wonder Woman and Batman and Aquaman and Cyborg and Flash, and you're going to get a cameo by Superman, which is then going to lead into Justice League 2. That's then going to lead into solo movies for Cyborg and Aquaman and Flash and Green Lantern, and then you're going to get a third Superman and a third reboot of a trilogy of Batman with Ben Affleck as Bruce Wayne. I do know some stuff about the Bible, too. (laughs) But I'm really into superhero movies, as you can tell. (laughs) Now, this goes back to my childhood. I've lived here in California in the Bay Area for seven years, but I'm originally from Minneapolis, Minnesota. That's where I was born and raised. And uh, in the summer months, me and my friends growing up, we would all bring our comic books. That's kind of where my love for superheroes began, is my friends and I, we would get together on the corner of the block where I grew up, and we would all bring our comics. We'd bring our Spider-Man, our Superman, our Fantastic Four. There was one kid who brought Archie, which really doesn't count as a superhero comic, But we didn't want him to feel left out, so we were like, come on, dude, you can bring Archie. But uh, we would read our comics, and we would trade them. But there was one comic book series I never traded, still have it today. It's a Superman series called Bizarro World. And this series, the story arc, goes a little something like this. There's this other realm, this other place known as Bizarro. It is an upside-down, evil, twisted, backwards world. It is so evil, so backwards, so twisted that there's a person in Bizarro World who looks just like Superman, except he's as evil as Superman is good. And the twisted, backwards, upside-down, evil, wicked state of Bizarro World is threatening to invade planet Earth. So Superman decides to make a sacrifice of himself, and he goes into Bizarro World to take on this evil threat. Now, to go with this story arc, you have to believe that for the most part, things on planet Earth are good. Good families, great communities, there's peace, there's happiness. It's Bizarro World that is evil and wicked and twisted and broken and upside down. But the truth is, sisters and brothers, we live in Bizarro World. This world in, in which we live is the bizarro upside-down world. Now, I know, I know there, are, there are places uh, in the Bay Area, in the state of California, in the United States, on this planet where there's good families and great communities and there's peace, and, but there are far too many examples, sisters and brothers, uh, in, this, in this metropolitan area, in this state, in our nation, around the world, that we live in an upside-down bizarro world. There are too many examples of human trafficking and violence as the primary means to solve conflict, political division, racial division, class division, broken families, uh, failed institutions. There, There are so many examples. I wish it wasn't true. My heart grieves for it. But we live in an upside down, broken, bizarro world. Ah, but here's the good news. Over 2,000 years ago, someone greater than any comic book superhero ever written about, his name is Jesus, came into this upside-down, bizarro world. And and this is what Jesus did. I mean, uh, one of the ways to think about what Jesus did when he came into this upside-down world is Jesus gave us a picture of what this upside-down world could look like if it was turned right-side up again. And he called that the kingdom of God. And he declared the kingdom of God. He demonstrated the kingdom of God. 
And then Jesus went to the cross on behalf of our upside down, bizarro lives. He died for this upside down, bizarro world. Even though this world was bizarro and twisted and backwards and upside down, for God so loved this bizarro world that he gave his only begotten son. And he went into a grave and he rose. And one day Christ is going to return and all of creation is going to be set right side up forever. The question becomes then, who are we to be until then? As the beloved children of God, as people that have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, as the redeemed, who are we to be in this upside down, bizarro world until such time as Christ returns and sets everything right side up? I heard an old preacher once say, When Christ returns, this is ultimate justice. But until then, it's just us. (laughs) That God has decided to use you and I, where we go to school, where we work, where we shop, where we live, where we volunteer. God has decided if we are willing, if we would make ourselves available, that God would use us to rise up as reconcilers in this upside down bizarro world. That you and I could be the great connectors of people to God and be a part of people having righteous, healthy, transformative, flourishing relationship with one another in Jesus' name. So what does that look like to rise up as a reconciler in a broken, bizarro world? Here in 2 Corinthians, I believe Paul gives us some points to consider. Paul wrote the first letter, 1 Corinthians, to a a fairly new church plant. Maybe a church fairly new like this in a diverse metropolitan area. That was Corinth. He wrote to them in the first letter about being diverse, but not being divided. He said, there's many gifts, but there's one Lord, one spirit, many members of this body, but there are no members that are greater than or lesser than other members. And he said, what would sustain that church would be faith, hope, and love. Most important, love. He writes this second letter. And I wonder if he's talking now more about who this church is to be in a diverse, broken, metropolitan area, in a city full of people. Who are they to be? How will they rise up as reconcilers? So here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning with verse 14, it says, For Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. If we are going to rise up as reconcilers, here's the first point. We must rediscover God's love. To rise up as God's reconcilers, to be used as God's vehicles in this broken world of, of love, for love and justice and transformation and truth and new life, we must be willing to rediscover God's love daily. When it says here, Christ's love compels us, what it means is to be trapped by God's love to be held by God's love, to be surrounded and want no escape from God's love. Uh, to be immersed in God, to be drowning in God's love. Why is that important for the Christian today? 
Because what I've realized over time, sisters and brothers, is there are some things that I am just unable to be in this bizarro world unless I'm empowered by God's love. Now, there are some things I can do without God's love. There are some things I can do without God. Like, I can dislike somebody. Like, like watch this. You, sir, I don't like you. See that? <laughs> Tell you who that was? I didn't need to join church. I didn't need to fast and pray. I didn't need to join a small group. I didn't need to go on a men's retreat. I, none of that. I didn't have to read the Bible. I didn't, I, none of that. All I had to do was just look at somebody that I didn't even know and just randomly pick them out of the audience and say, I don't like you. I mean, I'm pretty sure we get to know each other. We will, but just thanks for being a part of the sermon. Well, what I'm trying to say here, sisters and brothers, is all by myself. I can be prejudiced. I can be selfish. I can be greedy. I can be envious. I can be jealous. I can be hateful. All of those things I can be in my own might, but to love mercy, to do justice, to walk humbly, to extend truth and new life in this broken world, I need to be set free, empowered by God's love. One of the things that that we ought to do daily or consider as, as the beloved children of God is just making ourselves available and saying, God, you have permission in this broken world to love through me. Love my spouse through me. Love my kids through me. Love my friends through me. Love, love my, my neighbors through me. Love my coworkers through me. Love my enemies through me. We must be willing to rediscover God's love daily for ourselves and then give God permission to love through us in this broken, bizarro world. It also says here in verse 16, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Here's the second point. We must rediscover ourselves and others. What does this mean? So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Well, in general, there are two ways in which someone can see themselves in this world. One is to see yourself ultimately as created and dearly loved by God. To to know that your identity can be rooted in you were ultimately created by and deeply loved by God. You know, Jeremiah chapter one, God says to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. So this means that ultimately our identity began in an invisible place. So before our mothers and fathers looked at us as a baby, Before we were held and people got all excited looking at us as a baby in an invisible place, God was already deciding that you are loved, that you are special, that you are gifted, that you are talented. And one of the best things we can do in the church is to raise children up. One of the best things we can do in our homes as Christian parents is to raise our children up knowing who they are beginning in the invisible place when God was saying that before I formed you in the whom I knew you. You're significant. You're accepted. You're loved. You're meaningful. You're talented. You're gifted. God has already decided this. But another way that people see each other, see themselves, is from a worldly point of view, which means we come into this broken world and we're hoping that based on the way we navigate this material, visible, physical world, that we'll be loved that will become special, 
that maybe we'll be somebody. Maybe we'll become somebody. Maybe somebody will see us and, and, and bestow upon us that we're special, that we're loved. Because we don't know that there's a God in an invisible place that already decided. And so some people grow up and depending on how they navigate or bump up against people and physical things in this world, they decide whether they're loved, special, talented or not. Oh, but here's another way in which we see each other in a worldly way. We live in a world, sisters and brothers, where based on the color of your skin, your physical features, where you were born, what your accent is, if English is your first language or not, if your parents had money or not, we decide who's smart, who's dumb, who's fast, who's slow, who's to be feared, who's to be revered, who can clap on beat, and who shouldn't bother. (laughs) We decide all this based on a worldly point of view. This is why we're so divided. We're, we're so diverse, and yet we're deeply divided. We have the opportunity, sisters and brothers, in a diverse community to see each other for who we really are. And it begins with how I see me. Do I see myself as the beloved of God, as already made special and wonderful, gifted and talented, with a purpose, ready to contribute something fantastic and phenomenal in this broken world? And when I see myself right, I can see others right. But if I don't see me right, I'll never be able to bestow God's identity and purpose on somebody else. I'll never be able to recognize God on somebody else if I never recognize God on me. Now, I've had some people say to me, you know, Ephraim, when I look at you, I don't see black. You got some special eyes. It's not that I, it's, it's not that I don't want you to see me. I mean, I want you to recognize who I am in God, but I mean, I still want you to see me. I mean, I still want you to see this cool chocolate brother up here. I mean, I want you to see that. And and celebrate God. Celebrate the goodness of God, the majesty of God, the awesomeness of God, because he's made a multitude of every nation and tribe and language, and we're going to be together in eternity. So we might as well learn how to love each other right down here so that we can live right in our new being there. So we no longer see ourselves from a worldly point of view. And that way we can begin to celebrate our true heritage and family tree. I'm discovering the more I know who I am in God, the more I can re-engineer, re-understand my family tree. On my mom's side, my great-great-grandfather was full-blooded Irish. He married a woman who was a descendant of black slaves, but she was also Haitian and Cherokee. I I get into that. I mean, I'm Irish. I mean, I drink green Kool-Aid on St. Patrick's Day. I'm Irish. But I'm also Haitian. I'm a descendant of black slaves. I'm Cherokee. Now, I live in a world that that doesn't, doesn't recognize, doesn't acknowledge the fullness of who I am. So I have to remind myself. I have to know who I am in God. And I have to be able to understand more deeply why God set me in the heritage, in the family tree that God set me in. On my dad's side, we can trace our family tree back to a man named William Billy Smith, former governor uh, of of, uh, Virginia, former former senator. Some scholars say member of the Ku Klux Klan. How did that happen? (laughs) 
That's all in my family tree. The oppressed, the oppressor, the broken, the privileged, the poor, the mar- it's all in me. What am I supposed to do with that? Maybe that's why I pastored a multiracial church. Maybe the reason I lead an urban missions organization that plants churches in diverse and under-resourced places is because all of that is in me. God purposely designed me, purposely set me in a specific heritage, cultural tree, so that I could make a difference in this broken world. The same is true for you. Don't be ashamed, even if you come out of a broken background, Do not be ashamed of your family tree. Do not be ashamed of your past. God will re-engineer your whole family tree connected to the fact that you were made in an invisible place by him and use you to be a healer, a reconciler, a transformer in this broken world. No longer see yourself from a worldly point of view. We must rediscover ourselves and others. It also says here in verse 16, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Here's the third point. We also need to rediscover Christ. What did did Paul mean when he said we no longer see Christ this way? Which means we even have the tendency, if we're not careful, to see Jesus from a worldly point of view. Paul saw Jesus from a worldly point of view at one point. Paul was, he was persecuting Christians at one point. I mean, because he saw Jesus from a worldly point of view. He thought he was just a guy, just a man who was walking around the earth saying he was the a king and the son of God and the son of man. And he, Paul was thinking, how could that be? Do you know where that guy was born? No kids, no, no, no kids become kings out of that neighborhood. Nothing special comes from that community. Get out of here. He was a heretic. So we crucified him. I mean, we don't know where the body is, but I mean, we killed him. The problem is people keep following him. And that's what Paul thought about Jesus until in the book of Acts, he met Jesus for real. He rediscovered Jesus. He met the real Jesus on the road to Damascus and it changed everything about his life. He went from persecuting Christians to being the persecuted Christian. (laughs) Because he rediscovered Jesus and he rediscovered his life purpose. You know, I hate to tell you this, but we still have Jesus's according to the flesh out here today. Let me introduce you to some. We got the black Jesus. We got the white Jesus. We got the the Democrat Jesus. We got the Republican Jesus. We got the American Jesus. We got the English only Jesus. We got the pretty Jesus. You ever seen that pretty Jesus? He don't have a mole. He don't have a birthmark. No acne. Nothing. Just so pretty. I don't even know if I can pray to him. Just pretty clear. I don't know if he's using Noxema, but that's a pretty Jesus right there. Maybe it's time we rediscover the true Jesus of Scripture. The Jesus of John 1, who was in the beginning, who was the word, and all things came into being through him, was God, is God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Maybe we need to know the Jesus of Matthew 1, the family tree that Jesus represented when he walked the earth. Do you know that in the earthly human bloodline, the human package in which Jesus walked the earth, he came from a lineage that were the original inhabitants, families of Israel, Palestine, Ethiopia, Egypt, the Sudan, Libya, 
parts of Asia. When Jesus walked the earth, he walked the earth as a Jewish, Hebrew, African, Asiatic, multiracial, multicultural human being. When Jesus died on the cross, that was multicultural, multi-ethnic blood dripping from his head and his hands hitting the foot of the cross. We can say that Jesus died for all of our sins because all of us was flowing through him. How dare we reduce Jesus to black or white or Republican or Democrat or American or English? I don't know what language they speak in. Thank God we're going to get a new tongue in heaven so that whatever the language is being spoken, you'll be able to speak them. Praise God. We shouldn't reduce Jesus down to us. We should let Jesus increase us up to him. That we might be transformative people in a broken world. Finally, it says, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So if to rise up as reconcilers, we must rediscover God's love, rediscover ourselves and others, rediscover Jesus, and rediscover our ministry and message. If you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and if you haven't, I hope you would consider it today. I mean, what a great day to come into intimate relationship with the Father, but on Father's Day. That'd be awesome to come to know the ultimate Father on Father's Day through Christ Jesus, his Son. You know, if you have become a Christian, you have a ministry. No, no, you don't have to have gone to seminary. You don't need to be licensed and ordained. But if you're a disciple, if you're a follower of Christ, you've been given a ministry at your job, at your school, in your neighborhood, in your family, where you volunteer. You've been given the ministry and the message of reconciliation to connect people to God through Christ Jesus and to be available to righteously connect divided people that they might come into intimate relationship through Jesus. That can be you at your job. That can be you at school. That can be you in your neighborhood. That can be you in your home. To rise up as God's reconciler, knowing that you've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Oh, you know, there's one last thing I was, should probably tell you from this text. It's back up there at verse 15. It says, and he died for all that those who should live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Ultimately, to be a reconciler in this bizarro world, you have to be willing to die daily. Now, I don't even like talking about death. But you know, if God asked me how I want to die, I mean, I would tell God. Wouldn't that be awesome if God asked us how we want to die? Oh, if God would say, Ephraim, how do you want to die? I would say, God, thanks for asking I thought about this. I wrote this down in my journal. Check it out, God. On my 100th birthday, (laughs) when I turn 100, I want to wake up at noon. I mean, why get up early? It's my last day. So I'm going to sleep in. So I have a lot of energy to worship you when I get to heaven. So I'm going to sleep in till noon. And because my mom's from Alabama and my dad's from Louisiana, I want this southern meal that consists of fried catfish, collard greens, macaroni and cheese, yams, cornbread, and a tall glass of sweet tea. 
And I want to follow that up with a bowl of warm peach cobbler with three scoops of vanilla bean ice cream melting off the side of the bowl. I want to eat all that, fall into a deep sleep, wake up in heaven. That's how I want to die. Just like that. Man, I wish God would ask me. I'm feeling this vision. I got a vision for my own death, a ministry plan. I did a hundred years old, wake up at noon, catfish, collard greens, macaroni and cheese, yams, cornbread, sweet tea, bowl of peach cobbler, three scoops of vanilla bean ice cream dripping off the side of the bowl, fall asleep, wake up, Hosanna in heaven, hallelujah. That, but God won't ask me. God will not ask me how I want to die. But God does invite me. Right now, right here, to die to self, to make myself available, to die to things in me that are untrue, that are superstitious. God wants me to die to being enslaved to abandonment, neglect. God wants to lovingly kill stuff in me that's not of him. So that I would decrease and he would increase in me. To live as a reconciler is to be willing to say, God, I give you permission to kill things in me that are not of you. By your grace, by your love, by your mercy, by your teaching, by the Holy Spirit, kill things in me that don't represent real manhood. Kill things in me that don't represent real womanhood. Kill things in me that keep me from living a life of integrity and character and purpose and and transformation. I give you permission, and when you do that, it's not going to be comfortable. It's going to be painful sometimes, but God will do it. God will step in, and what I'm finding is God is killing me softly with his love, killing me softly with his love you know there was this song by Roberta Flack and um, I know the worship team's getting ready to come up in a minute but before they come back up I just want to say something about this song uh, Killing Me Softly it was, it was redone by a hip hop group called the Fugees later but the original song was done in the 70's by a woman named Roberta Flack the song is about this woman she goes into uh, a bar and she's heavy hearted she's broken And she's sitting there, and there's a guy on stage playing a guitar. And and in the song, the woman is like, this guy's singing to me. And he's, he's telling me my whole life. He doesn't even know me. He's singing this song, and he's telling my whole life through this song. And it's it's killing me. It's it's hurting, but yet it's it's liberating me. Maybe that's what you need this week. You need God to sing to you. To sing into the deepest places of your being in this broken world so you can rise up is God's vehicle of love, truth, justice, transformation. Maybe you need God to sing that song to the real places in your life. Strumming my pain with his fingers, telling my life with his words, killing me softly with his song, killing me softly with his words, telling my whole life with his words, killing me softly with his song. God bless you.